0: the ultimate power in the universe
1: what is up everybody there's so many buttons to push here hold on a second this Where's your is, face? Uh, where's my face <laughs> here's my face and um because i'm ocd my looking room has to be correct
0: oh no i understand i totally understand <laughs> and i have to say i have to say that uh your theme song is a banger. I love it. It's a oh, yeah.
1: the countdown. Yeah, you know it's funny when I um, when I have people in the back, it's uh, you, when I run that. You can tell like people are like dancing and doing mm-hmm. their thing. Bogan. But uh, yeah, I like that. Um, Danny from Comics and Cosmetics, thank you so much from
0: Scarf Scuttlebutt the, Podcast. Yeah.
1: Thank you very much for joining me. Um, this is a, a very exciting evening. And uh, I apologize for being nice. late. Um, as you, uh, as everybody knows, I work in the news business, and um, I think of uh, producers um, when they want you to go live, and the, it's not really necessary to go live. Um, it's like that. Uh, it's like that uh, meme that you made. This could have been an email.
0: <laughs> Princess Leia sends 3 p.m. This could have been an email.
1: This could have been an email. So uh, I. Had to and rush. are the
0: producers like half your age and half your experience too? Pretty much pretty uh, much nice. so, yeah. fun. so fun so fun uh,
1: we uh we had to rush down to wilmington illinois because there's a lot of flooding near the kankakee river so uh that was a lot That's of fun
0: happen in the midwest yeah when there's lots of rain
1: lots of rain and lots of water but um yeah we uh we are back uh none the wiser if i hadn't spilled the beans but uh look at everybody in the chat thank you very much guys I for know. joining us in the chat and um, Let's see. Who do we got? We have a whole bunch of people. We do. And I don't Um, know if
0: Nicole saw, I saw your hi, Danny, and I said, hi, Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Yeah.
1: So um, we've been planning this one for a while and uh, I'm very excited. Um, And, uh, you know, I like to talk to, i like to bring people on and and talk about fandom and talk about uh, all their nerdy loves, uh, their passions and things like that. Um, both, uh, you know, professional people and people that are just like you and I. I mean, we're professional, in mm. some levels, I guess. <laughs> but but um, it,
0: it's I, super fun. It's super cool to talk to professional creatives who make nerdy movies who are in fact super fans of right. the nerddom that they have produced. So that's that's always fun, and I love picking their braids, and I love finding out like were you fanboying so hard when you were making fanboys? Like <laughs> there's some cool people in that movie and some of the arguments they had in there were like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I've had that argument.
1: <laughs> sure. Of course. Of course. Um, and uh, you know, projects like, um uh, so do you remember watching the star Wars holiday special when it came out on TV? You're, you're just a baby, right? You didn't watch it when it aired. I
0: wasn't born yet. I don't get to say that often with you, but it came out in 78. I was born in 80. Mm -hmm. Um, I was fed Star Wars in utero. Okay. And I came out loving it. Very nice. Um, I got to watch it as a teenager somehow, like a friend of mine somehow. I guess their parents had recorded it. I don't know. I don't know how I got to watch it. I don't remember. I just know that I've seen it. And then a few years ago, it was on one of my Super Secret Squirrel services that Mm -hmm. I get to watch stuff. And I watch it every year for Christmas. And it's so painful. So painful to watch. Um, Man, and to find out that was it Stan Winston? He did the the Wookiee
1: was it? Yeah.
0: It was Stan Too Winston. Funny. And I i was today years old when I found that out.
1: Oh, nice.
0: And I thought, oh, Stan Winston, why, so why? on earth did you do th- Why
1: did you do it? Very nice. itchy. But um, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of that and a little bit of the um, documentary that was uh, created uh, to kind of explain things. Uh, disturbance in the Forest, you know, it um, it it did its tour around, uh, uh, we got it here in Chicago. I, I forgot when, and I was going to go with a friend. They had like a 10 o'clock showing, but I had a very early, um, early, uh, you know, day at work the, and, and I just couldn't get out to to see it. I would have loved to have seen it in the theater. Um, I'm definitely going to yeah. find it and, and look for it. I,
0: I haven't gotten to see, I tried watching it today and I don't, have the streaming services yeah. on but i'm we'll going get, to, we'll find, get to it. i'm we'll going to find a way i really want to watch it um the yeah. star wars holiday special is one of my very strange obsessions um <laughs> jefferson starships in it man
1: <laughs> and you know what's funny i was reading i was reading um some tidbits some facts about that jefferson starship was in it because they have the name starship in in yeah. their
0: name Yep, because they're starship. And
1: uh, one of their songs is Hyperspace or something like that. I forgot, Hyperspace. So, um, yeah, a lot of uh, nice little connections. All right, so um, we're going to bring our guest in um, after I push a couple of buttons. But uh, there's a lot of chatter in the chat, and uh, that is wonderful. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this special edition of Scarif Live here on the Red 5 Network. Uh, the rest of the team is, uh, you can find them at uh, bio.link slash red5. Uh, Danny from Comics and Cosmetics is a wonderful, wonderful member of said network. As many, uh, as, as, as there are, uh, there's so many of the p- folks in red5 uh, in the chat as well. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll get to chat with them. Um, have some questions ready. Uh, I would love to be, have this uh, show be interactive, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. All right. So uh, let me go grab a drink. I'll push a couple buttons. We'll be back in 37 seconds or so. We'll be 37 right
0: 37 specifically. Count.
1: Yeah. And 12 <laughs> frames.
0: I made yeah. it explode
1: you did didn't you yeah and we've got mr kyle newman in the house how are you sir
2: oh let's see unmuting what? myself. Hey. i'm doing great thank you how are you thanks for having good. me good
1: oh fantastic um our pleasure it really is um thank you for coming on and reaching out to us and uh Wanted to come on here. We've got uh, so many questions, but I just wanted to say, um, you know, as as uh, someone again, you know, I mentioned it early in the in the show. I love talking to people. I love talking to professionals and non professionals alike. I think when it comes to our fandom, you know, that is kind of one of the things that really unites us. Um, and uh, it's it's just fun talking to to folks like you. So thank you very much again for coming on. Of course. Um, let's see. So, um, we've got uh, some wonderful people in the chat, uh, some of our friends, and obviously, um, I wanted to, uh, talk to you a little bit. There's a a lot of stuff that you've done and a lot of new stuff that, uh, that you, um, have been working on and we're gonna, I'd love to talk, um, a, a little bit. About all that, um, if you guys wanted to, I wanted to. Uh, I posted a post regarding that uh, vehicle um, in uh, in the movie Fanboys, and um, you know, in Illinois we have a Volo Museum of Autos. I know the the Batmobile's there. I think the A team vehicle is there. I mean, it's a it's a big museum, Ooh. and we uh, we get to go, you know, once uh, once a year. And um, I think Herbie is there. I mean, all these movie cars, Kit, Kit. There's various cool. versions of Kit. Yeah, he has
0: to tell you these things because Illinois really struggles to have cool things.
1: <laughs> yes, we're I just that's you a know stop. But not as boonies. cool as Missouri. No, just. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's kind of like a weird, like Danny and I have a weird uh, rivalry. It's almost like a cubs sox thing, like a South Side-North Side here in Chicago.
0: How so.
1: dare you! <laughs> I'm not into sports, Cards so it Cubs me.
0: thing. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, sir. there you go, there you go.
1: But I wanted to ask you: Do you know where that vehicle ended up?
2: I don't. There was actually several used in the film. Okay. Uh, we had one for stunts. We had one which had a full interior built, um, so you could shoot inside of it. And I think there was a third one. Um, one of them was kind of unfinished in terms of the 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 detailed paintwork on the side of the van, you know, the the Star Wars pose over there over the back rear wheel. Mm-hmm. One of them had like almost unfinished. It was kind of like a faded quality. It wasn't fully airbrushed. Um, it wasn't shot as close up. Um, I'm trying to think where it ended up. I know it appeared at one of the, it, it's been to some comic cons Someone owned it and went to a celebration of Comic-Cons, I think. I'm not sure who the owners are, but there's, there one of them's out there. That's cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. We could track it down, probably.
1: That would be really awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, there's a uh, what's up, Crystal? There is a uh, there's a certain thing about um, movie vehicles that uh, that is really cool, especially for fans. I mean, you know, you I mentioned the A team vehicle um, yeah. kit. I mean, obviously they. They um, they stay in our uh, collective consciousness when it comes to these these shows, TV shows and movies. History um, Machine, Knight Rider, yeah. right? Atmobile, yeah, yeah they're iconic. Yeah. The um the DeLorean. So yeah, the DeLorean. obviously. So it's it's really great to kind of uh, you know clump this uh, vehicle in there with with the rest of them because it's such a it's such a wonderful <laughs> image to to be able to see this vehicle kind of coming towards you.
0: Well, and let's it face it how many opponent. how many nerds did we know with with a a van like that
2: that had right. like a wizard or something or air at least, on the right. side of it or at least a yeah, conan uh, or somebody on the side yeah yeah
1: or at least uh you know some pink carpet on the inside
2: <laughs>
1: right yeah you know i wanted to um i was reading a couple of articles and Doing a rewatch of Fanboys, it's interesting to me because I'm I'm not really. It's funny people make fun of me for this. I'm not super into like comedies, but this has um, a certain heart to it that is that that I feel kind of separated, um, separated it from like other comedies. I won't mention other um, directors but it seems like um and and i i kind of read that you guys kind of fought a little bit to kind of keep that heart in it and and thank god you did um because it like i said it really kind of separated that um the the actors were great the the scenarios were i don't know and, and i Relatable. What was the process right? Relatable, obviously. What was the writing process between uh, the creatives behind the scenes there? And obviously you 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 directing it. but what was can you go through a little bit of the writing process when it came to this? and because I know it took it took a while.
2: It was Adam Goldberg correct it took so here's what it started with ernie ernie had written a draft and uh, i had heard about it on ain't it cool news in 1998 i was still in college i was like oh i want to see this movie and it wasn't a period movie he was trying to set it in 1998 he never got it made and then in 2004 friend um said he had he had the rights to it and he was like we got to meet up we got to talk um are you interested in doing this? And then sight unseen, I was like, I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in. i read about this. It sounds amazing. Um, it, it, it suddenly then had had to evolve into a period film. Um, I did some work on the script. Uh, Matt Perniciaro, who's one of the producers, also did some writing on the script. We did a lot of writing on the script. Um, we brought on another friend of mine, Dan Pulick, who was story credited on the movie. Dan is not a Star Wars fan. He's just a great screenwriter. He's like, dude, why do you want me to write this? I don't even like Star Wars. Dude. That's your thing. You know, and he's from like Long Island and he's just like, What do you what is this crap? You know. Um, and I was like, No, Dan, forget Star Wars. We're making a movie about friends. It could be anything. They could love they could love the Mets. You know, it's just think about it in this way. They have one thing that unifies them. Strip all the other stuff away. Don't worry about the jokes. Don't worry about the references. Let's just look at it on an emotional human level. That's where what Dan kind of came in with the restructuring, um, and then Adam came in. And Adam is another friend from from NYU from school. And Adam is just a brilliant comedy writer. And yeah, Adam what a friend to have. Whole Other level to the whole thing. And Adam and I reteamed for the um, Disturbance in the Force. So I brought on Adam to produce it with me. And um, Adam is, you know, so Ernie and Adam ultimately share screenplay credit um i was directing it so i wasn't trying to get credit and we didn't have a ton of money to give people so that was you know adam's like you're gonna do this and you're in and and matt was producing it so we we just kind of removed ourselves from the the people seeking credit pool and you know dan got his story credit and that's kind of how it all took out in terms of writing but everybody had a superpower everybody brought something to the table to make it personal and relatable, and my mission was to keep it on track to make sure it had heart. Uh, I'd like to film that was had recently come out um, called Sideways, and Sideways Alexander Payne movie, and it's like two friends are going on a road trip, and you know the alcoholism, and they're just going to wine country, and the movie's super passionate. And there's a lot of heart and it's very dramatic. It's also funny. And my pitch to studios when we were doing it was like, I, I don't drink. Like, I don't, I don't give a crap about alcohol, but I love that movie. And I love when miles is like, you know, F Merlot, you know, he's going (laughs) off. Like, I don't need to know what Merlot tastes like to understand the passion. So I wanted, I'm like, you don't need to understand all the references. You just need to feel the passion behind what they're saying you don't have to know what this is versus this or this easter egg but if these guys believe it and these guys are all about it it determines their life and it defines the direction they're going and their commitment to their dying friend you don't have to be that level of fan and as things have changed you know in in pop culture and in fandom there's no everyone's you know everyone's allowed to wear their heart on their sleeve people are fans of people realize that there's no difference between being like a fantasy NFL player and someone that likes fantasy Lord of the Rings. You're just passionate about stuff. You're just obsessed. Um, Those walls have been stripped down like nerdy versus not nerdy over the past, you know, 15, 20 years. And that's been a slow process of people just saying, you know, I'm into it. I'm into these, these are the things I'm into and and we let that define us on social media. We let that define, uh, we, we can wear shirts that are nerdy. You're seeing all that stuff just changed where it wouldn't have been like that 20, 25 years ago. And this, I just wanted to play in that world where people that can relate to passionate people. Sure. Um, That's, that was our audience. It wasn't just, we have to appeal to star Wars fans. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. It's uh, I think the best star Wars movies have been written by non star Wars fans. You've got empire strikes back. You've got rogue one, um, you know, arguably obviously, but um it's it, it's interesting to me. I think good writing is good writing, uh, sure. whatever genre. And I think, uh, you know, you guys did a fantastic job, like uh, Danny was saying, just to kind of make the story relatable. Um, and, and one thing that I like about it, too, is, you know, relatable but not cliche. Yes. Um, I think the characters were, um, there were certain aspects of all the characters that kind of appealed to us as nerds. And I'd like to say that uh, Kyle, you are correctly you are correct when you said I I, I think the nerds won. We won. <laughs> We're everywhere, yeah. right? You know. Uh,
2: I, even, you know. We, even... I think we did. I think <laughs> if you look at the people running shows, you look at like Craig Mazin running The Last of Us, and and uh, Benioff and Weiss, the Game of Thrones showrunners, like getting through <laughs> that. They, I've played D and D with a lot of these guys. They they mm-hmm. grew up playing D and D, and look, they they basically like show running is like dungeon mastering. Yes. And you, yeah. John Favreau used to love D D. the mandalorian he had said privately is his dungeons and dragons campaign you know in a way um that's like these guys got to we grew up loving star wars and loving these things and now we just go get to work in these in these worlds where the 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 sci-fi and the fantasy aren't niche they're mainstream it's not like oh that's a that's a subgenre. if you look at superhero movies and all these things dominate the box office you know that's that is what drives the dollar it's not like a sub thing that's beneath the studio now or beneath right. a filmmaker an artist that is the preeminent stuff that hollywood is putting out for for better or for worse and then you're seeing all these new things which are dissections of them and deeper explorations deconstructions and you're, they're playing in the genre deeper than we ever could. It's not like this superficial, you know, tried and true. Oh, this is a superhero story. That's all it is. There's so many dimensions to what you're seeing in these types of movies and, and genres. So it's, yeah, it, nerds won. I mean, that's who's running, I think that's who's running gaming. That's who's running entertainment. Um, and I don't see many... There's so many parallels between also these these other things that are going on in the world. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look at the people. Look at the billionaires of the world. You know, they're all probably we're the nerds. You know, I know Jeff Jeff Bezos is like a Lord of the Rings fanatic. You know, mm-hmm. he like all this stuff. Um, goes to space because he dreamed about it you know he loves star trek They're, like he's takes but his it, money and he's pursuing his dreams and doing that was
0: one thing. thing i have to disagree with rowan because the trek nerds in <laughs> fanboys was most definitely a cliche okay because... you know why
2: there's a reason there's a reason um so trek was in the movie uh i i love star trek trek was in the movie in a, in a very normal way it was trek trek star wars oh you, Nine you love star production. trek in a normal way no, they, it, w- it was presented in a normal way. We weren't okay. trying to make our fake version of it, you know? Yeah. Um, It was in the movie. And Viacom, like, basically nine days out, we just, they revoked permission or whatever. It wasn't fully finalized. They just kind of screwed us. So suddenly we had no, we were going to be using Trek fans and their costumes and everything, just like we're using a lot of Star Wars fans collections to bring the collections to life and the archives to life. We didn't have the budget to go, like, create our own fake star trek uniforms and do all this so we then had to you know suddenly stitch up a whole bunch of costumes and all this stuff so i was i was particularly upset with viacom and we just had to go on a more it got a little more bite to it how we presented star trek and how dorky we okay. made them because i was uh aggrieved by how they they screwed us you know, I, so when when Seth Rogen's like, you know, the, the screw the bastards at Viacom, it's yeah. very middle. <laughs> I when he
0: miniature. says when he says Trekker, Trekkie is yeah. derogatory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I I absolutely busted out laughing because one, I have said that
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: multiple times right. and two, um, I published a nerdy book back in 2006, and I say something similar to that in my book. The characters like Trekker, Trekkie, believe that he's on the ship. I'm a Trekker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yep, um, it's-,
1: it, it, it's funny because in 1999, um, I traveled from Chicago to Los Angeles to see The Phantom Menace, and I was at the Grauman's Chinese Theater overnight for a couple of nights. It was, it was obviously the, the fans lined up, um, it was one of the best experiences of my life. But um, one of those nights at three in the morning, there was a blue van that showed up with Star Trek fans. Everyone was dressed in their original series outfits. This guy came out with, uh, with the plastic ears dressed as Spock and was yelling at us and flipping us off and saying, Yoda was a puppet. But we loved it. It was it was an amazing time between between the fandom. So when I see that kind of like you know little uh, tongue in cheek you know rivalry between fans of both franchises, it, it just cracks me up because it you know you were talking about passion and it is passion yeah. in both camps. I love it.
2: You know, I uh, William Shatner's in this film, so I got the I know that with William Shatner. Was William so Shatner. Was was so cool. Shatner involved? <laughs> yeah, he was so cool. And we're just talking, you know, one day on set and he's just like, you know, it's such a great script. And he's like, but what's all this about a rivalry? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. is he joking? And he's like, why are you making it a rivalry between Star Trek and Star Wars? I was like, well, See, I'm he's not serious? making it a rivalry. There is a rivalry. And he's like, no, there's not. You know, he, what? he thought it was all copacetic. And um, I was like, no, this is pretty, gets pretty nasty between people. There's like a, there's like a, you know, it's fighting fiefdoms you know and he and i i did also joke about the 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 hierarchy of of nerddom i was like it's star wars okay and then you've <laughs> got star trek oh. and then you've got like then it gets lower it's like transformers voltron all and all that the 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 lower to echelons learn. like the babylon fives are down there and then <laughs> and i had a friend in high school who loved um, farscape and i i couldn't get into it i didn't apply myself to it but I was like, infarscape's, you know, down down below oh, that. Geez. But he actually, I put him in the movie as one of my best friends growing up, this guy, Doug, Doug Soltes, and he's one of the Trekkies that looks kind of like data. And he was like all through, you know, middle school and growing up, he was like, he's like super nerdy, super smart science guy. And he was like a living data. He was like, we always call him data. And so I put him in there as like this fake Trek World's Data. Um yeah, it was it was funny hearing William Shatner think there was no rivalry that's between the two. That's
0: fantastic. That has yeah. uh, That's made my day. I don't know why. Maybe <laughs> it's because it it just paints the Shat in this beautiful naive right. light, and it just makes me love him all the more. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: Kyle, I wanted to ask you um, as a filmmaker. Um, you know, obviously technology has changed a lot from even 10 years ago, even five years ago. Sometimes I think the technology is changing. Um, what are some of the things that you have seen change that just blow your mind when it comes to, you know, making movies as a, as a director producer on your end, on, on that uh, end of the spectrum, and also as a fan who likes to go out and enjoy movies?
2: I mean, there's so many things. Now, if I'm doing something on set, um, knowing what I can do in post empowers you to not be as precious or to move on, especially if it's a very tricky day and you're just trying to get as much as you can shot. Um, Knowing that I can probably fix something. um, You can't fix performance later. You, know, you always have to get that right. but you could paint something out. you could I shoot a little wider now than I would before because I know and everything I have the latitude to push in and reframe and do things like that. So I, I don't like lock myself into stuff unless like I know I'm doing that. but like if it's just regular coverage or something I might shoot a little wider knowing I can I can tighten up and I can be looser. There's just little things like that that technology, affords us to do if you're if you're aware of like what it can do um for the most part though it still comes down to two things it's, it's people personalities human beings human interaction and story um and interjecting the biggest part of it is managing people you have a lot of people are creating they're coming they're expressing they're coming to a set a lot of people actors come with different styles different traditions, different places in their personal life. You don't know what they're going through. You have to find, create an environment so people can come together, common, al- common goal, commonality, and communicate and bring this scene to life and um, make it work to tell the story. And so a lot of that is ego management, man management, bringing out the best in people, creating the right environment. Technology doesn't change that. Um, story is also something that, you know, The principles of it are thousands of years old. Technology doesn't infringe upon that. I think people do get distracted with technology. Um, There's all these things you can do. You know, we just were making a trailer, a pitch trailer for something um, during the strike. And, you know, it was AI images in mid-journey than being brought to life with runway. And you're making, like, still images come to life. And you can just do something from nothing. There are these tools. doesn't mean it's better or it looks better. it gives you options, you know. It's funny how, like, you know, twenty years ago, you have what a workshop like anime can can like auto trigger a army in Lord of the Rings. You know, like, look at all this. We programmed it so these like all these fighting units can do their own thing, and these macro mm-hmm. shots wins an Academy Award. Um, now we're like, oh, AI is evil. You know, it's just a tool. I mean, I think there's real ramifications with AI. In a broader sense um but in terms of it as a tool for director filmmaker it there's gonna be there's gonna be battling ais it's not like one ai is gonna rule them all um so i do think that there's a lot of fear we should just be careful we don't have to be totally fearful just be cognizant of you know not to default to it too much um There is, there's a democratization of things in storytelling, you know, it used to be harder to make content, the costs of say an animated movie are going to go down from 100 million to 10 million in the next few years, you know, you're going to see a lot more content be made, you're going to see different people, um, different ways of expressing stuff, it's going to be amalgamations of live action and, and technology. Um, I mean, is avatar like a live action film? It's almost mostly animated, you know like what are the where are the distinctions here? Um, look at a character like you know Yoda that's a puppet and you look at you know Gollum and c g and and the Godzilla characters, all these great characters, you know it's, it's it's only a matter of time. They're a character on screen and no one's you get into the effects, but no one's acknowledging sometimes the amazing character work that goes into it by the actor or the performer. it's a real. Combination of efforts by multiple departments um, that don't really get the accolades they should. It, we're at a point where we can almost tell any story you can dream of. You know, that's a good thing. I don't think right. you have to be terrified of that. Um, as long as we don't, as long as we're not removing the humans from the process. You know, I think empathy is something uh, AI can't do. You know, I wouldn't put. Um, I wouldn't ask AI how to deal with like uh, a loved one who was on life support probably does not to give me an empathetic response but maybe if I was asking AI to reorganize civil planning and say what's an efficient you know organizational bus system or something then it's more <laughs> more useful sure. so there's ways to um, apply it if you if you understand what the, the risks and the benefits are um, yeah. so yes with trepidation but i think with technology there are there's so many new tools and i bet within three or four years it's going to be um stuff we couldn't even anticipate going to open?
1: sure sure i'm always interested in uh technology especially as it pertains to filmmaking because obviously you know it's it's you know i grew up watching all those behind the scenes of ilm and george lucas doing star wars and creating you know ilm to to do everything that that the, the Star Wars movies have done. Um, it inspired me to learn and inspired me to, to be a photographer, a camera person myself. And it's, uh, you know, having seen that process where George Lucas said, you know what? I don't wanna shoot on film anymore. Can I, let's work with the camera companies and develop digital film. And then yep. he, he got flack for that. But now it's it's, you know, he proved that it was a useful tool to be able to tell stories in a more efficient way. And I think as technology continues to grow, I think there will always be the people that might, you know, fear that technology or not maybe understand it. Um, but I think, um, like, uh, what was that saying that uh, Scotty from Star Trek says, "The right tool for the right job." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think uh, I, you know, I think that that kind of applies. When you're writing a story or when you're thinking about writing a new movie, do you think about the technology that you'll, you, you will have to employ to to make that happen? And I'll give you an example. Obviously, there's there's a question in the chat that I'm going to ask you in a minute. But, you know, Star Wars uh, Mandalorian utilizes that stagecraft technology, which was wonderful at the onset because it allows the creatives to do more in, um, in that a lot of time. Um, but there are also movies like The Creator that said, you know what, let's actually go out and shoot in a real location and then bring it back and add all the, you know, all the special effects and the greeblies after the fact. So there's there's that combination of, uh, you know, should I do it like this or should I do it like that? What aspect of those two arenas does um, creating a story um play when you're when you're actually uh planning on on making something new
2: it depends if you if it's star wars and you can do anything and your budget is you're probably more liberated in a budgetary sense then i would say it's it's just what how you envision it going i think for them for dave and team i think they like the idea of being on a stage being intimate not having to travel all over the world there's you can you can play, you get a volume of, no pun intended, you know, material <laughs> coming in. Um, you can look at it in advance. You're giving actors something to interact with. That's more of like a style choice. I, I, I wouldn't say it's really limited the show. There's some pretty big stuff in the show, and not all of it's shot indoors on the volume. And you look at a show like Andor, and it's there's no volume. It's entirely, you know, sets they built. And... But all of it is to create, to fabricate a new world and a new reality. So for me, I would just say it's most of the stuff I'm gonna get given, I'm gonna have to factor budget. I'm gonna say, what's what's really effective? But Mandalorian, they they they, they experimented with the volume and it was expensive. But in, in the long run, they're gonna be able to bring the cost of subsequent shows down because it's experimental. And that's in the spirit of George. If you look at what George Lucas did, is he always pus- pushed the boundaries on on effects. He always put the money back on screen. Even when he was making Phantom Menace, there's more model work in that movie than any other movie in history times two.
1: And people and then he's and,
2: doing reshoots. People, yeah,
1: people tend for people tend to forget that. I mean they they cling to the CGI and the green screen of it, but there yeah, are I a lot of models. That, yeah.
2: All they do is regurgitate the marketing they were sold. Right. Um they were selling us on Jar Jar and Sabulba and amazing mm-hmm. visual effects and digital. Um but the reality is there was more model work on that film than anything else ever ever will be and it's beautiful um but they sold us on digital that was all what people want to talk about and then george is doing that movie and he he's doing reshoots and he shoots it with a camera to experiment for what he's going to shoot episode two on mm-hmm. and he's always pushing the boundaries um the volume and what they're doing on mandalorian was a cool way of saying this is the old style of stuff it's a rear projection but it's a new way of doing it you look at The Force Awakens and they kept selling us, oh, it's practical. It's all practical. And they paraded like, you know, a like guy on stage and he was like one of the the vendors walking through Jakku Marketplace. The whole third act's entirely like CGI cutscene. Cut you know, it wasn't model work. It was all, it, it's just what they sold us. and never wanted to believe, oh, JJ went back to practical effects. I'm not trying to diss the movie. I like The Force Awakens. I'm just no, saying. You're in good company. I'll Don't try. worry about it. <laughs> the contrast is there was there was nowhere near the amount of model work and practical stuff in the Force Awakens compared to Phantom Menace, but but the con but, but we want to believe that the Force Awakens was all digital, and then you have a couple of Shakespearean trained actors who are trained essentially in black box theater. They're supposed to like suspend all that and go on a uh-huh. stage with two guys and make you believe it's Macbeth complaining that they don't have a real set it's like shut up guy you're <laughs> you're the guy who goes on stage and sits there and does a 400 year old play right. with no with like one prop like right. so the stick <laughs> let george go finish the wall he's going to give you nine feet of it and he's going to go complete the rest and just show up and do your job and perform you know like it's funny these arguments and then people like regurgitate them and repeat them and it becomes part of the press and then everyone says oh george you just did these green screens and give actors nothing to work with you know it's like no matter what people can do, they just want to criticize George, and George is a genius who changed movies, technology, and entertainment forever, and he put all the money back on screen, and he gave the world tremendous gifts, and it's it's crazy how we've, you know, the fandom scared him out of his own.
0: And they all typing. just want to instantly forget about Howard the Duck happening. Like, you you got gold there. Why don't you use all the ammo there? yeah Yeah. he didn't even want his name attached to it poor guy poor guy so
1: skywalkers academy has a question for you kyle have you worked with uh technology like stagecraft yet
2: um i did some test test shooting with it yeah i I played with it um it's not it's not really that different than when you know even back so we're doing the van and fanboys you pull it Mm -hmm. on the stage and green screen and you're shooting all the stuff like you're gonna make you feel like you're moving later you know every movie you've got some of those sometimes you do process trailers sometimes you're doing um you know, you're you're putting those those plates in later stagecraft it's just there right then it's cool it's its own it, it's its own amount of things that could slow you down it has its own amount of gifts i like the interplay of the light like if you're shooting something there, that light that's coming off of all those pixels is reflecting onto the metal. It is reflecting. Sure. It is making someone's eye glow in a way that if you have just got green screen, you're not getting. Say it's neon or all that. It's mm-hmm. it's like you're missing something. You try to emulate it. Um, it in has a way, beautiful beautiful attributes, and it has detriments. Sure. You know,
1: yeah. And in a way, the workflow is uh, reversed because you have to do all the special effects first to load them into the system and then and then work with the Baked in, so
2: you do have yeah. to know what you want you have to know what that starship's going to look like you do have to right. know what that spaceport is going to feel like you do have mm-hmm. to know what time of day it is because it's hard you can i mean you can color grade and change things later to a degree but you're not going to suddenly make it a nighttime scene right. um you know that that's good i mean that's where you bring it's an element of animation to it because you with animation you're you know, a movie you're shooting 20 or 40 to one ratio, like I'm shooting a bunch of stuff and only one out of, you know, 40 pieces of it is going to end up. But animation, you don't, the way they're budgeted and stuff, you don't have that luxury. You're shooting more like 1.2 to one, you know, what you're producing, most of it is going to end up there. You're giving, a, you're giving, this is the shot. I'm giving myself, you know, 17 or 30, 30 frame handles on each side to slide it a little bit. But that's all I need. You know, with a, with a movie, you're shooting, Let it all play out, but you're only going to use this person's reaction and this person's reaction in a four-minute take. So there's a lot of – it's not waste, but that's just the process. So with stagecraft, you do have to be a lot more dialed in and prepared and know what you're going to need to see. And I think that's – I welcome that. I come from the background of storyboarding and doing my own planning. That's my background is fine arts. and So I like all that. I love animation. Um, I'm not one of those people that like gets the set and then tries to figure it out there. You know, sure, yeah. like it should no. all be pre-planned. Um, and then that you can evolve. Matter. If sure. if you know the way the, the pipes are supposed to flow and you have to change something or you couldn't get that, then how does the, how does the flow change? You know, you have to re-pipe the story. Mm. Um, so you gotta know all that. You have to know what the infrastructure is of the narrative emotionally. Sure logically thematically so if something doesn't you can't get it on set what can you do quickly to fix that or repair that or i don't have time to get all these shots i got to do it all in one how can i combine three thoughts into one thought still convey what i wanted to do emotionally or or you know narratively that only comes from preparedness um, Sure. stagecraft's cool i mean i would love to do some something with with stagecraft um for the most part i'm i'm blown away by what they do with mandalorian and what sure. lets me down sometimes in, in modern star wars disney is is writing you know it's all, it's, all stuff has nothing to do with technology it's more right. like open up your laptop take the weekend and please do a second draft don't sure. shoot what shoot you is this absolutely can someone yeah. just edit this stuff like can <laughs> someone just like give you a little you know there's a lot yeah. of that where i'm just like it's almost there i love the idea Mm-hmm. but you you watch Andor and that is like well written you know yes. I know what makes every character tick yes. the minute they're on screen within a minute top, I know top tier mm-hmm. I loved Ahsoka but I also had no idea what each character wanted when I met them yeah I'm familiar with the characters I want to know what makes each one tick and if it's, and if it's Sabine if Ahsoka's fear is that Sabine could be dangerous with the force and that's why she stopped training her put that plant that flag yeah. in the first episode and then explore that the next eight episodes you know that's that's dramatic storytelling you you, there's like is she going to isn't she she has a setback she says but i had no idea what her shortcoming was or perceived shortcoming was for her to be challenged as a character and it ends up great but it did not i wanted to know what makes get into the soul of each character you have one minute to do that hook me on each character where they at emotionally where they at mentally what have they been doing for 10 years Put them up against each other. What's the conflict? A really
0: good point with that because a lot of people who didn't watch Rebels and Clone Wars or whatever, they thought that was the problem that they needed to watch those shows to get what was going on with these characters now. I'm like, I no, a lot of we people need to watch know them why she didn't want to train yeah, to like mean anymore.
2: Most people I know, like you my, my younger brother, he's a big Star Wars fan, but he's not like me. But he checks in with he watched all the series and stuff, and he remembered the of the Empire books back in the day, but he, he, and he even watched Rebels and he's like, I, I, you know, I'm a little lost here. I liked it, but I'm a little, could have been better. You know, there's things like that. Um, it's hard, but it's hard to make Star Wars. It's one of the most, um, judged pieces of entertainment. Um, I rarely talk about other people's work, you know, as a filmmaker, it's really hard. Making movies is really it's sure. threading a needle and then threading another needle and threading another needle and then people give you notes that don't get it and someone else you know it's stuff from all over the place. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. nothing other than ego. It's drenched in nothing other than ego. There's no logic behind it. There's no merit to it.
1: Just like podcasting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're muted. Oh, you're muted. I think you're muted yourself, Kyle. Very I do well.
2: as. And talk about star wars because as I, so I always keep it real as I've always as I always have when I would talk about clone wars talk about rebels talk about anything I'm going to talk about the craft of it what works what doesn't uh and why whether it's on a personal level or what makes me feel a certain way or not and on a and if it's relevant on a on a technical level and I think you know one of the shortcomings with a lot of the scripted star wars is um, the writing isn't there totally. Mm-hmm. You know, concepts yeah. are great into it. It just feels like it's all one draft away from really coming together. And Andor did come together a little long winded, but it all came together, and that's what people respond to the writing more yeah. than anything. Say Andor is a perfect perfect thing, and Rogue One was another. It's probably the best of the Disney era movies, and it had um, writing that all coalesced around a simple discernible, like idea like you know when luke goes into the cave in or he's on dagobah and he's training and try or you know do it or not there is no try or what's mm-hmm. in the cave you know only what you bring with you and those type of lessons he goes into the cave that's a two-minute sequence and he has this experience not that it's the world between worlds Like I hayden christensen's amazing i love the guy um i love dave i love the whole i, lo- I love ahsoka but they are in this world between worlds and it's beautiful and it's an amazing sequence, and it's calling me, pulling me back in because of things I saw in Clone Wars and all the stuff. It's it's awesome. I wanted a simple, discernible lesson. And when I get to the mm-hmm. end of it, I'm like, she just goes, I want to live. You know, it's like, did you yeah, not want to live before? I I, all of yeah. this do. <laughs> I'm just trying yeah. to figure this all out. Sure. Like, and then I want to see whatever you learn from that lesson, just like Luke did in a simple way that's not just Star Wars, that is a life lesson i will sure. take with me since i was a little kid and i saw empire do it or not there is no try it's just stuff that you could it's not fortune cookie it's like there's life lessons mm-hmm. what was that thing i want to feel that it from the world between worlds and watch her take that back into our world the physical world and manifest that and have it be challenged by her showdown with Balin or somebody and it's all there it's almost there the stage is set the elements are there everyone's there it looks beautiful but 40 minutes that's i didn't know what the i i just got to the end of it and i was like what did i learn there you know yeah i think it should be that you, simple
0: you've struck the heart of what we've all had a problem with the last sure. several years is this lack of emotional attachment why should we care Mm -hmm. Why should we care what this person does? Make us care. Marvel was really great at that in their phase one. They introduce things one at a time, give you an emotional attachment, something that you, something everyone can relate to on some level to this character and build that up. Star Wars was really great at that when, you know, George was in charge and lately it feels like they've, I don't know kind of been phoning the scripts in like you know what that's good enough that's fine no 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 don't don't keep working on it
2: (laughs) like you know what makes Luke tick when you meet him in A New Hope that's why it became a phenomenon that's why it was resonated with teenagers and everyone could relate to it's like I'm from a, a place I feel misunderstood there is a larger world I want to be a part of it He's his own worst enemy. He holds himself back with his lack of self belief. You get all that in like a few minutes. You know, I know what sure. makes Luke Skywalker tick, and what are his obstacles going to be on on an internal and external level? Um, you know, there's an there's an episode I think it was episode seven of Ahsoka and, and um Ezra and so and Sabine are you know driving in a on the ship, and he's like, so what happened? Da, 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 and she just says, it's complicated. <laughs> you know, you're like, hold on, you cannot. It's complicated. Me seven yeah. episodes into a show. You I have been gone ten moment. years. That was hard. I wanna I want <laughs> you can't do that, you know. Um, if this was a CW thing and you're playing it out over five seasons and you're just toying with people like catnip, may, maybe, but we're not doing that. These gotta be special. It's Star Wars. Yeah. And I want Star Wars to be the it should be the gold standard for um for this type of entertainment. Get this you know? man a Star Wars to push every single boundary when it comes to <laughs> these things it's like yeah. star wars is its own genre it's an amalgamation of all these things Very true. and now i think there's a little bit of regurgitation of star wars it's like well star wars is this so give them just this little bit and you're fine as lightsaber it has some music and da, da, mm. da, and we'll throw in a couple easter eggs lines and that's all you need you know it feels like that sometimes Yeah. Absolutely. Um, whereas george made it it was like this interesting alchemic fusion of samurai films things like dune lawrence of arabia um serial stuff pulp also screwball comedies like it happened one night um it could be corny you know star wars can be corny and it was also tragic it was also it had everything and it was for everyone um which was bold and beautiful and i'd like to see more amalgamations of genres um rather than just this is star wars it's done it's done evolving mm-hmm. it's no more there's no more visual evolution there's no more narrative evolution it's like it's all feels ratified and stuck and sure that's it like whereas i felt george kept expanding and changing what it could be even through clone wars um dave did a lot of that great work you know and that's what i want that spirit to be um instilled and resuscitated back into what what it is going forward um star wars said things politically too but it also wasn't obvious um as well star wars could do a great many things um and i don't know sometimes it's like if it's like they have a great power but are they wielding it correctly you know what's the
0: thing that comes with great power responsibility?
2: (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's funny.
1: um, I use that line a lot um, when I'm talking about stuff like this and, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, you talk about writing, Kyle, and I think, you know, that line in particular in the, in the Spider-Man lore is, is a wonderful line. And there are many um, wonderful lines in nerd culture. And I think they are uh, designed again, like you said, to, to teach us something to show us something and to open our eyes to something that maybe we never thought of. Um, Again, you talked about writing when I was watching, uh, you know, towards the tail end of Andor. um, I thought it was so expertly crafted story-wise, acting-wise, you know, the writing was top-notch, not just for a Star Wars, but for a drama in particular. I thought to myself, wow, it's going to be really difficult to go back to regular Star Wars after Andor. And unfortunately, I think for me, it was, it was like, it, you know, I had a really nice steak dinner and then, you know, they gave me a, a couple of Salisbury steaks uh, that were frozen um, and I just kind of warmed them up. Um, but the, I, I, we, we digress. I, we, we can talk about Star Wars yeah. until uh, we're blue in the face, but I wanted to ask you um, a little bit of Star Wars, but uh, the Star Wars holiday special um, the, uh, the documentary that you guys, uh, created for, um, for, for that, uh, Disturbance in the Forest, I wanted to ask you, what were some of the, uh, what were some facts that you didn't know going into it that like blew your mind, um, when it came to, um, not only the process of, of gathering all the information, but maybe some of the stuff that, uh, that you didn't know about the
2: actual special on CBS. Everything um every day across the board i mean i i you, you know what it is it's the butt of many jokes and everyone thinks they understand it and there's so many myths about it um so many things that are misconstrued about it uh, in terms of why it was made how it was made who made it who was george involved or not um who's complicit in all this and <laughs> as we were exploring this we just kept learning you know it's just It was just good people that were happy to be working on Star Wars and it just got warped and mutated in a way that was unfortunate because George couldn't didn't have the bandwidth to stay focused on it. You know, here he's moving his company up north and he's working on Empire Strikes Back and he is trying to to turn his success into a platform to expand the rest of his career. There's a lot happening in his life at that time and the special felt like a tool to um since he's risking also money on empire strikes back to ensure that this brand this this story stayed in the zeitgeist and with that expansion of him saying yes yes sure go on this show do this let's do variety shows with his um desire to keep the brand relevant came some pitfalls and i think that's it i didn't know all that i didn't know that you know the director was replaced i mean i knew something about it i didn't know the story of it i didn't know what their direct production issues were i didn't know that it was going to be 30 minutes and then 60 minutes and then 90 minutes you know um you discover so many things there was a quote you know about you know if i had a hammer and time you know to go around and smash all the copies and paul Shear talks about how it was on all the things and then you know one of the last people we interviewed i sat down with steve sansweet um in may of 2023 um up at rancho and he's like i I'm, I did originate that quote. I asked George. We were, I think they were in Australia, and George—that's where the quote came from. It came from me. So it was like these yeah. things are like—is that a real quote? Yes, yeah. it's a real quote. Like, so we were able to put the cherry on top of things that were stories that sounded good, or, you know, that were like—is that real or not? Oh, that's real. Okay, and we were just completely, you know, just letting people tell their truth. You know, people felt so far removed from it. Nobody was, nobody was in trouble. Nobody was being criticized we're not here to make fun of the special we're just here to hear people tell their truth and that's that's the platform that jeremy Kuhn and steve kozak the directors set up with this thing it was a genuine exploration of 70s television as well context is everything when it comes to art that's sure. stuff that rinsler talks about he's my favorite interview and i think this was his last interview um, in this stuff because he really gives you an insider's look at lucasfilm at the time Based on his closeness with george and what he's what he's unearthed is like nobody got fired um george was un, was unhappy with it but he moved on he made empire he made return of the jedi he made ewok movies you know but it did change him psychologically i think my my big takeaway is that after george was burned on something like this he's you can you just knowing him he was upset um by the perception of it too people forgot about it but he didn't forget about it Mm -hmm. he was not gonna let and that gap between 1983 or 84 or 85 with the ewok movies and coming back with special editions in 1997 and then the movie in 1989 that gap he wanted to raise a family he wasn't gonna anybody go mess with star wars you know i'm not gonna go let sell it to someone and let them go make movies if i don't have the time and the bandwidth to be on set i'm not gonna do it and i think that was resulting from his his um experience with the holiday specials letting other people play with it without his stewardship um that stuff you just you when i get to the end of the process that's what i felt out of this you know he wasn't responsible his name was invariably dragged through the mud because of it um probably the wrong personnel in place because he didn't handpick them um so there's a lot of those those type of lessons. But yeah, every everything in it is basically new. When I when I show people the movie, we've done screenings. I'm like, how many people, you know, learned something? Everybody's hand, everyone's hand goes oh, up. Yeah. No matter how much you think you know about Star Wars, I think this becomes the hopefully the definitive analysis of it. I mean, even stuff in Paul Duncan's Star Wars archive book is incorrect, you know, as we were unearthing oh. from this, you know, who was attributed to that. Cool. That document, you know, there are two writers like, I've never seen this in my life. I did not write this, you know, and it, he gives them credit for it. And they're like, That is, we'll tell you what's ours. We wrote some crap. That's not us, you know, <laughs> and it feels like George, you know, and finding out that it was in Ralph McQuarrie's drawer. and Ralph had this, and Ralph was one of his key, two or three key collaborators after through, through A New Hope. And afterwards, if he was going to go uh, bring something to life, you know, he probably brought this to Ralph, these five five page document and said let's do some sketches um this came from george um i think maybe his assistant or somebody typed it you know and dictated it but these were george ideas they feel very george lucas so that's not what the the special ultimately is but the beginnings of it came from him not these two other writers you know the the conceit to do um wookie family holiday and life day and going to experience Wookiee culture and going into a culture and having characters not speak um, basic or English and leaving the audience adrift his obsession with doing something kind of like a Hobbit hole like all that stuff comes from George you know mm-hmm. not, yeah. not these other guys that are just comedy variety writers they're not coming up with that that's a George thing he didn't so he just figure it all he, out you know did he Was
0: he didn't name the Wookiee family did he?
2: um i have to look at it again i don't did know you, if the names specifically. Lumpy. i think there were some other complicated names um you know all those names are also short for other names mm-hmm. you know mala is short for the longer name and uh lumpy's short an abbreviated fun version of his real longer name Um, they did do one of the star wars books Went to a Wookiee planet and talked about Chewbacca's family, and he had a he had a son, but they didn't go with Lumpy. Was it Wars? Yeah, There's another name, you know, but he had a kid. So they've they've taken parts of this and used it. Um, it's just fascinating, and it's one of those periods of time because George did not have an affinity for it. That he, you know, not that he buried it, but that Lucasfilm didn't do a lot of material to encapsulate it and present it and revise it and update it and do the pr for it so it was just kind of forgotten this period between you know 19 late 77 and you know empire um there's not a lot of historical stuff on it you know and so this gives us a little bit of a look into that that's what i was very proud of you Mm. know
1: yeah so there won't there won't be a uh, star wars holiday special special edition anytime (laughs) soon
2: it would be kind of cool i mean i think Patton oswald says you know let george lucas go special editionize it and let him do his thing and put that out that yeah maybe i i don't it's kind of unsavable on that level i think you have to look at it as a just a piece of the time period you know he mm-hmm. didn't george lucas didn't invent the variety show sure it's a terrible format yeah. like He just got plugged into it. It's not his fault that variety shows existed. They just did a Star Wars version of it. There are worse things than the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's a horrible format that we were stuck with. You know, they didn't have cable. You didn't have all these other outlets to go market and do things. You had four channels. You got some crap variety.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
2: But, you know, that uh, Holiday Special obviously is uh, ingrained
1: in our collective consciousness. We got uh, Boba Fett out of it. We got... uh, you know, Grandpa watching some Star Wars porn. For so you got some good stuff out of it, I guess. You know, Harrison Ford yep. uh, back on television. Uh, some heavily made up uh, Mark Hamill.
0: Yeah, you see the things where people are like, oh, Mark Hamill in the holiday special looks more CGI than Mark <laughs> Hamill in Mandalorian Season 2.
2: Too funny. That's crazy. Yeah. The makeup was insane.
1: But I think in the long run, um, you know, Star Wars is a franchise. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think if we only had the three films, it would be kind of a different story. Mm. Star Wars has kind of grown um, into this, uh, you know, gigantic franchise. And like you said earlier, it's, it's a franchise. It's a, it's a genre on itself. Uh, Mm. So, um, you know, I, Kyle on my podcast every time somebody mentions it like if if you I always say if you cut me I believe Star Wars I've been a fan since since 1977 when I was a kid watching that Star Destroyer go overhead obviously uh, quite an investment for for you know older fans like myself Um, but. whether it's Disney Star Wars or d- regular Star Wars, I mean, I'm always excited to see a Star Wars to see what uh, what the story is, and uh, we can evaluate it uh, on a case by case basis. But um, Kyle, I want to thank you very much for uh, joining us here on this uh, edition of the Scare of Podcast. Uh, of course, thank you. We, uh, you know, we usually go for an hour. We don't want to take up a lot of your time, but uh, we really appreciate it. And we, I think the the folks in the chat had a wonderful time uh, hearing some of your stories and uh, having you answer some questions. Thank you so much, Kyle.
2: Thank you. And last thing, like you said, you know, as a fan, I'm not going anywhere. There's always good in it. I believe just like Luke saw good in his father. There's always good in all this stuff that's put out there. Some of it, sure. you know, it's not that it's, it's not that I don't like it. It's just I always hope that they could stick the landing, you know. And everything. Yeah. I'm always rooting for Star Wars to to be that. And if not, yeah. I, I rewatch it and I get something out of it. Um, that's one of the things, like because you love it so much, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're just a little, you're extra passionate about it. You're a little hard on it because you're like, I, I know that greatness is always there with Star Wars. You know, it will it is doing well, and it will always have it will in the future have a think something big is coming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I read that um, when you guys were shooting with Carrie Fisher, she was into Fruit Loops. And I remember um, when I met her here in Chicago, I brought my son to meet her and got her autograph and shook her hand. And she had a little glass um, full of Fruit Loops. And she, she handed my son uh, and offered him some fruit loops. So I, it, it's weird. Cause I thought it was like in my imagination, but when I read that, I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. She likes fruit loops. It's so weird.
2: It was, yeah. Working with her was <laughs> surreal. Was just one of a kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> One of a
1: kind. Yeah. I'll definitely miss her. But, um, this, uh, this has been a great talk, Kyle. Thank you so much. You are welcome down here anytime. If you got any new projects coming up. Uh, please reach out to us. Uh, obviously, you've got my email, you've got uh, our, our yeah, social media. Um, but um, thank you so much. Uh, and then, Danny, you too, thank you so much for hanging out with me here on the Scare of Scuttlebutt Live. I think what this what is I your. With
0: my hands.
1: <laughs> what, what can I do with my hands? Where can people find you, Danny, to say hello there? Uh,
0: well, um, I'm literally everywhere on social media. Just type in comics and cosmetics and you'll see this uh if you go to youtube and type in comics and cosmetics you'll find me there yeah just like this like middle-aged people do that's how we type sometimes like this um you'll find me there once a week giving you all the hot goss on nerdy news for that week and once a month i break down a storyline character what have you give you all the information you need while doing some makeup at the same time. Sometimes it's special effects. Sometimes it's just getting ready for the day, whatever. It's just something I'm doing while I'm talking. So you can find me there.
1: Excellent, excellent. And I I, I forgot, I had posted something that, Kyle, you actually answered, and I forgot what it was. And then I'm like, who is this guy? And then I looked at your profile, and I'm like, oh, but I forgot what it was. This was like months ago. I had hmm. asked a question and you, you had actually responded.
0: Do you but expect him what... to remember Ro is, are you asking him what it I was?
1: It. You, you should know. remember.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know <laughs> what, I, I don't know what it
0: was. Everyone Maybe. remembers the day they respond to <laughs> Ro on Twitter.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But, um, it was a nice surprise. Uh, I reached out to you and, uh, you know, obviously here we are. So, uh, uh, appreciate the connection and um, thank you very much. Where uh, so you're on? Obviously, you're on Twitter, but uh, is it okay for people to come up and uh, say hi to you? Somebody had mentioned that you were, of course, they, they saw you somewhere at an event. Uh, the they library?
0: Appreciated...
1: No, library.
0: where was it? It was uh, Skywalker Academy. Said Ah late Salt Lake City Library. Hmm. Skywalker's Academy was... City. I appreciate. I Seeing you at the Salt Lake City Library Kyle that was a great interview
2: Awesome Yeah we I'm online so I'm Kyle underscore Newman on Twitter Or X and I'm Kyle underscore Newman Instagram I think I'm on threads too And Facebook I have Kyle Newman fan page Always talking about Star Wars Always welcoming The message and we're very proud of this movie Very very independent Little movie um, so please check it out. I guarantee you're gonna have fun. Watch this. It's a rare oh, that docs, I think, are this fun and funny. So we right. are very, very proud of that. And the response has been insane. So
0: I'm really um, looking forward to see it. I mean, yeah. you've got Weird Al and Donny Osmond and Seth. Uh, sign me up.
2: And and Pete Sears from Starship, <laughs> Jefferson Starship. They're all in it. You know, everybody's in it. Bobcat Goldthwaite and Seth Green oh, and Kevin Smith and and Oswald, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun one. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah. So if you're ever
1: in Chicago, hit me up. Uh, we have a, uh, we have a a convention coming up in April called C2E2 here in Chicago. And, um, in October, in October, we have a little red five network podcast, um, get together that, uh, we'll grab, grab some pizzas and, and uh, um, you know, hang out and talk nerdy stuff that's called Scarif Con, and uh, this year it'll be our fifth annual. Um, that happens he in October.
0: Pizza, he means casserole,
1: yeah, <laughs> Chicago pizza. Uh, you know what? I like, I like Think Crust, I love thin Think Crust, it's really great.
0: St. Louis,
2: but um, the win
1: the casserole, yeah, sometimes it's like one slice and you're done, but um, absolutely.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, but, uh, I just don't want to have to eat my pizza with a fork. I- <laughs>
1: That's okay, Danny. That's okay. We'll give you spaghetti. Excellent. <laughs> Kyle, thank, thank you very you, much. Danny, thank you very much. And then everybody in the chat, thank you very much for joining us tonight on this edition of If Live. I'm going to pop the audio in this uh, of this show in the audio feeds for next Thursday. So please uh, check it out if you missed it here or rewatch it. That would be amazing. Uh, until next time, this is Ro, that's Danny, and our guest, Kyle Newman. Thank you so much, and that's the scuttlebutt.